to uh, walk through a lot of the life of John the Baptist. So we're going to skip around in a couple of different passages. We're going to start in John chapter 1. Um, so if you would be getting there, we'll be in John chapter 1, starting in verse 29 in just a little bit. Uh, one of my strongest desires, one of my greatest passions, one of my greatest loves is discipleship. In other words, growing people in their faith. Because in my own life, um, it was done poorly in some facet or another. I was the kid that when my grandmother and my grandfather took me to the little Methodist church in Anahuac, Texas. If you even know where that is, um, you'll bless me um, (laughs) because there's like 600 something people in there. It's not very big. And I can remember being that kid who took the digital watch to church on purpose and set the alarm to go off during the sermon, and then couldn't figure it out how to turn it off. So it would just keep beeping. And so my, my church exposure as a, as a little guy was limited. When I'd go and see my grandparents, and, and they had their pew. Okay? And anyway, I don't know what would have happened had somebody sat in their pew I kind of wanted to see that. I'm not going to lie. I wanted to see my grandmother throw down um, because I'm fully convinced. Had anyone sat in that pew, and I can remember to this day, I could go in blindfolded and sit in their pew. Um, God forbid what would happen, I don't know. And see, I'm the one who saw that later and went, please, don't you ever have your assigned seat in a church when somebody's coming in who has never been there before and tell them to move. You want to see an angry preacher? Do that kind of stuff. So, um, so that was my first experience. And then I started going to the Methodist church in Alvin because I really, I was felt, I felt compelled to be a part of something. I just didn't know what to do. So that was the only exposure I had. And I went and I, I was old enough to go through their confirmation classes. I didn't know what that was, but everybody else my age was doing it. So Yes, I succumbed to peer pressure. Uh, if you are my student, do as I say and not as I did. Um, and I just went through it and I thought, okay, there's all these great facts about what it means. And, and I was, that was good. Except that I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in at all. So I started looking for another church and I went to this place where, I'm not going to lie, there was this girl. Um, and I was, I was in sixth grade going seventh grade. So I was almost at that point where I was almost interested. And... <laughs> I was a little slower. I know there are some who were like girls at 10. Uh, thankfully, my boys are not there yet. Um, and and I, I started going, and I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. And they had this summer camp. And I went to the summer camp, and I was really excited because there were a bunch of other students. And um, I went, and we were in this little small group Bible study. And the person teaching it, though well-intentioned, assumed that everybody knew the secret Bible code. And he said... Turn to John 15. So I start flipping, and I found a, a, a John and a, a 15, but it didn't sound like anything they were talking about because I was in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, and they were in the book of John, chapter 15, verses whatever. And they were talking about abiding in Christ and bearing fruit and all this other stuff, and I'm looking at it going, I think my Bible's broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm a little scratchy, so if I sound like a preview at prepubescent boy, that's why, um, point, point proven, okay, so I thought my Bible was broken because I didn't, it didn't work right, 
And then by the time we were done, somebody realized that I was in First John and didn't laugh at me, but they kind of moved it over for me. But they would moved on to something else. And I didn't know the secret Bible code, and I felt like an idiot. And I didn't much like that. So I started learning the table of contents. Now, mind you, at this point, I've had a lot of church experience, but no Christ experience. So then I played church for a couple of years, and I come to Christ, and then it was, okay, you're supposed to read your Bible and study your Bible and learn what the Bible says. So this was pretty much how that looked. Here is a Bible. Start reading. So I started reading. In the beginning. Okay, I'm going to start off well, but you know what's coming, don't you? What's coming after that is not going to be something I'm going to grow in. I'm going to hit Leviticus and go, ah! And not understand what the deal is. And so somebody finally came along and said, oh, 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 don't start there. It says, it's the first page, so... And so somebody showed me the gospel. He said, start here. Learn about who Jesus is. And then once you've understood that, then you go back. Would have been nice to know that. So I started reading and I started understanding and started growing. And I was, I was at the point where once I came to Christ, if the doors at the church were open, I was there. And if they weren't there, I was trying to figure out how to pick the lock. Um, <laughs> because I really I wanted to be around people who could show me how to do this, but I didn't know how. So for the longest time... Somebody started talking about a devotional life and how to pray, and I just, I didn't understand. I wanted to, I desperately wanted to, but I didn't have anybody to show me. So from that point till now, my heart has been very much, let me show you. Let me show you how to study it. Let me show you how to read it. Let me show you how to ask questions of the text so that when you get done with it, you could not necessarily come up, in, up here and preach because I know that's not everybody's thing, but you could walk through this and, and be able to teach something on it. And it's not my, my thought that all of you are going to be teachers, but it is my thought that every person I encounter grows in their faith. And if I can help them by saying, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand the secret Bible code that there are chapters and verses and you've got 66 different books and, and all these other things? And a lot of people just take that for granted. And that's not always the best approach. So today I want to talk to you about John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist does three things that I think all disciples need to do. And we're going to look at his life. We're going to look at a couple of pieces that I think are very, very informative, but also very um, pointed in how we deal with things. So the first thing we're going to look at is, is John's understanding of his place in the kingdom. I think once we as believers get that part figured out, the rest of it kind of clicks into place. What is our, our part? What is our place in the, the kingdom of God? Now, I said this in the first service, and they completely got it. Um, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. And I know that some of you can go back and think back to the, the old black and whites, the, the TV show. I'm talking about Domino's, but the, the you know, and lo, the lone ranger had Tonto. But other than that, he was on his own. And I think a lot of times we, we think our faith is something that is only us. It's just me and Jesus, and that's it. But that's so not how the Bible teaches it. Everything in the Christian life, except for your personal devotion life, is meant to be done in community with other people. It really is. It's meant to be done in, in communication and conversation with, with people who are further along and not there yet. 
and it's meant to be done where you come in openly and you say, I just read this and it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. And you talk to somebody who struggled through the same passage maybe last week, and you go, well, I got that. Well, how'd you get that? Well, let's walk through it and talk through it together. And I want to just challenge you, are you there yet? Are you, are you conversing with people on a regular basis about what the Scripture says? Are you talking with people who are further along? Are you talking with people who aren't there yet? Are you having those kinds of conversations? So John the Baptist is going to give us a couple of things. Let's look at John chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 29. John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. John understands his place in the kingdom. If you are a follower of Christ, your place in the kingdom is a son or daughter of, of the king. If you know Christ and are with him as he is your savior and you are his you have a place in the kingdom you have a purpose in the kingdom now this is not god has a wonderful plan for your life but there's some truth that we must understand in the christian walk that you have a task in the kingdom every person does and that's not something that's that's a new concept it was not the person of israel it was the nation of israel it was not the the single disciple it was the multiple disciples. It was and is the church. The idea is we're in this together. Please don't go uh, high school musical on me, but we're all in this together. That's, that's the whole purpose. That's what I see you. Okay? That's what's driving it. And John knows his place. Just before this, people have come and asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the, the anointed one? Are you the king that we've been looking for? And he says, no, I'm not. That's not my purpose. That's not my job. My job is to prepare the way for him. Now, I, up until this week, have always, 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 and I, I just missed it. I don't know why. But I've always thought that John and Jesus were like best buds, you know, like hanging out at family reunions and stuff because they're cousins and all. But that doesn't seem to be John's account. John's account is, I know of him, but I didn't know him until God revealed it to, him, to me when I was right before I baptized him. So John points out, there he is. And then, I don't know if you caught this, he points it out a second time, and two guys leave. This doesn't sound like a great church growth uh, plan to me. He points at somebody, he says, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and two guys leave. Now, this is going to be two of the, the big 12 who are going to leave, not football, the big 12, and he, they're going to leave, and John's going to be like, there he goes. 
And there they go. And he doesn't have hard feelings about it. And we'll see that in just a minute. But it doesn't sound like a great, you know, maybe they're profit shopping. I don't know. Where, you know, we've got John. We've got this Jesus guy. Um, let's see how his profit works. Because, you know, I'm not, not quite sure. I don't know. But they leave. But that's John's whole purpose. And that's our, our purpose as well as disciples. Our purpose singularly and collectively is to be a people who points to Christ. Our purpose, our task in the kingdom, however that looks vocationally, however that looks in your family relationships and your friendships, our purpose is to point people to Christ. Now, if I asked this group of people that, to, to pick a Sunday and to, to expect to come up here and tell people about that, I have a feeling the numbers would be smaller for a while because not everybody likes this kind of thing. And that's totally cool. Not everybody's supposed to like this kind of thing. I'm not asking you all to be street prophets. I'm not asking you to be cornerstone preachers. What I am asking you is to live your life and in so living it, point to Christ. In the circles of influence that God has given you, point to Christ. Some of you have the personality of John the Baptist, and some of you have the personality of the Apostle Paul, and some of you have that quiet, timid personality that can only minister to others who have a similar personality. John the Baptist is not going to hit the quiet, shy people well. Can you see how this would play out? He comes up in his camel hair suit, chomping down on locusts and honey, and he comes up to that person, and some of you are like, yeah, that would be me. Um, and he's like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's all in your face. And the shy people are like, can I get back to you? And they, they kind of shrink away. And, and that some of you are like, yeah, that's me. I'm not asking you to be John the Baptist. I'm asking you with the gifts that God has given you to pour into the lives of people and to point people to Christ. But I don't have, I'm not a Bible nerd. Okay, you don't have to be. John didn't have a seminary education. He was educated, but he wasn't, he wasn't a seminarian. And there's nothing wrong with being a seminarian. Someday that'll happen for me. But it's not going to happen for everybody. But that's not what you're called to. Your call is live your life in front of people and point people to Christ with what you know. If all you've got is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so somewhere, start there. But when they ask you where, you've got to start flipping. First John's a good start. Um, just saying. Okay, so let's go a little bit further uh, to John chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 22. So John's been preaching. Um, Jesus has just had the, the famous conversation with Nicodemus that we get John 3.16 from. God so loved the world, but he's talking about a whole bunch of different things. And after that, we see this next encounter. John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Adon near Salim, because water there was plentiful. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. 
John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Look at verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. So now, not only do we have <clears throat> excuse me, the purpose that we know our task, we know our place in the kingdom, and that's something we must discover, but we also now learn the attitude of the disciple, that Christ must increase. Christ must become more and more, and we must become less and less. As we do the things that he has gifted us and talented us to do, that we take those things and we don't glorify ourselves in the midst of it. Some of you are awesome musically and can do things to a musical instrument or with your voice that I could only dream of. And it'd be really easy to point to those things and say, look at what I can do. Some of you are fantastic with numbers and processes and programming and those kinds of things. And you see that kind of stuff and you can plan out everything and it all just makes sense to you. I discovered in high school that I was called into the ministry and I soon discovered that the numbers I really needed to deal with was the book of numbers. Past that, math on a, on a financial level is fine. Past that, Melody's on her own in just a little bit longer as she moves into to algebra and calculus and whatever else. Um, so if you have services that would help that, um, I will employ them. Um, and that's great. Use those things in the kingdom, but don't use those things to point to yourself. Nothing, as John says, nothing that we have comes from us anyway. So the things that you are really, really good at, use those for the kingdom. Some of you have this awesome gift to relate to small children. They flock to you like you have a magnet on your body and they have metal in their heads, which is sometimes the case. And, and they just come to you. And others are like, oh, children. I know we have to continue the race somehow, but isn't there another way? And, 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 and all the moms are laughing at me. Okay, I understand that. And yet... We want to say we all have to be the same thing. Well, if we understand our place in the kingdom, that can't be true. There are going to be ones who are great with kids, and there are going to be ones who need to say, you're great with kids. Here's mine. Um, And we grow in that. There are some of you who are really great on a one-on-one relational basis, and that is just your thing. You wouldn't do this for anything. There could be a price tag on it. You'd go, no. But you look around and you see it's one person and it looks like their heart is falling out of their chest and you can't help it. Use those gifts and let him increase and you decrease. Now, I've talked about some, pretty, some positive things. I want to talk about one thing that I think um, a lot of people struggle with but nobody talks about. Luke chapter 7. As John continues his life and his ministry, he runs into a psychopath named Herod. He really was. Um, And he was one of those guys who thought he had to have everything. Everything. So he looks over at uh, his brother Philip, he looks over at his wife Herodias and says, you know, I got a better deal for you. And I'm going to, I'll marry you. Now he's not dead yet. It's not dead yet. Um, and some of you will get that, some of you won't. It's okay. <clears throat> and 
he takes Herodias as his wife. And John says, you know, um, Herod, I know you're a psychopath and all, but that's not the best way to go. And Herodias, being the spoiled brat that she is, says, Herod, you called me bad, and has this little temper tantrum, and he gets thrown in jail. Now, that's a Pope paraphrase, but that's pretty much how it shook down. So, at the end of all of this, he's in prison, and something more is coming. But in the midst of that, he has this problem. He has this big problem, in that he begins to doubt who Jesus says he is. He begins to doubt his proclamation at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. There he is, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And he's riddled with this, so much so that he sends a delegation to Jesus. And he sends some of his disciples, some of his people who are with him, to ask some very interesting questions. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. And the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the, wind, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? <clears throat> In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then? What did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than that, he, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Now, I'm sure that the guys who left heard Jesus say that about John. But I want you to think about what John has done and what John has said. John has boldly proclaimed in public that Jesus is the one who will take away the sins of the world and has in his mind, I think, what that would look like. And as he finds himself in a situation beyond his control, looking up, crying out, and wondering if God is still there, he wonders if he's right about Jesus because he's expecting someone to come in and take over, to come in and have a military coup, to come in and, and demolish everything and start something new and establish a kingdom. And his message of repentance was to prepare those who would be in the kingdom to be right as it happens. And Jesus doesn't meet his expectation at all. So he finds himself in this situation that in his mind is, it, well, best we could tell, not the best. He's in prison, and we'll find out soon what happens to him. He's in prison, and he's looking up, and he's going, where... Where is the, the Messiah? Where is the one who is coming? I pointed him out, but he's not doing anything. And maybe he's shaking his fist at God. We don't know. And he's looking at a situation. He's looking at his circumstances. And he's thinking, this is not what I signed up for. I expected a kingdom and I got nothing. 
but he doesn't understand what's coming. He doesn't see what's coming. He will not live to see the crucifixion and the resurrection. But as he cries out, he struggles with doubt, and he sends somebody to help him figure it out. And he goes to to Jesus as we can, with our doubts, with our frustrations, with our worries, and asks for some clarification. And he says, are you the one, or should we look for someone else? And Jesus answers his doubt. Doesn't change his situation, but answers his doubt. And in the midst of his doubt, brings him to this point where he says, this is what prophecy fulfilled looks like. Because the blind receiving sight and the lame walking and and all these other things were things that were also prophesied. John, don't lose heart. Confront your doubt with truth. And in the midst of that, realize, I'm not going to meet that expectation the way you planned it to happen. But don't miss that I'm going to do exactly what's necessary. And I can just, I can imagine John perceiving all of this, perceiving all of this, and not soon after losing his life with hope. Please catch this, his situation didn't change. Was Jesus still God in the midst of John's situation? And the answer to that is yes, very much so. But John had hope. John had his doubts addressed. But his situation didn't change much. There was a point in my first church where I used to wear uh, the James Avery cross ring. And I had this, I guess it was onyx, I'm not sure what it was. It was a, a stone that had a cross engraved in it. And I can remember right before I was getting up to, to teach, I took my ring off, I took my necklace off, both of these in my mind and heart, symbols of my faith, and I put them in my hands. And I'm looking at them, I'm, the, worship is, the worship through song is, is proceeding, it's going, and I'm there, I'm about to get up and teach, and I'm holding symbols of my faith in my hand, asking the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow this God? I am willing to let it go right now. And I was at that point, and I had it, I was wrestling. Music's still going on. I think somebody prayed, I don't remember. And it was at that point that the scales fell away from my eyes. My doubt was specifically dealt with. The Holy Spirit revealed himself, even in the text I was about to teach on. And I was able to stand firm. And I put my ring back on my finger, put the necklace back around my neck, having nailed something down that night and confronted my doubt for all that it was. Some of you are walking through a doubt-ridden situation right now. I don't know what the situation is that's causing it, but I will say this. You have an enemy that wants to accuse and to lie to you. And that enemy wants to bring up that thought life, that action, that word, that, yes, admittedly, is probably not pleasing to God. And identify you by that. How can you say you're a Christian and think this? 
How can you say you're a follower of Christ and say or do that? And he's doing what he's done from the beginning. He's lying. Those of us who have children know there's not a thing in the world that will keep them from being our kids. There are going to be things that happen along the way that may strain the fellowship. But there's not a thing in the world that will keep them from being our kids. And as we think through that, think, we've already, we've, we've already sung about it. We started singing about that. The love the Father has for us. Dwell on that. And in those times when you doubt, address it. May I just gently say, I'm not speaking to one person in this room. Because based on what I'm seeing from your feedback, a lot of you are feeling this. And I just want to address it with truth. There may be sin that you need to deal with. Deal with it. Stop holding on to it. Realize your place in the kingdom as a son or a daughter. And live like that. Some of you are struggling with stuff that has beaten you down for a long, long time. And you can identify with John. John the Baptist. Think about that. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect something else? Because you're not meeting my expectation. The last thing that the disciple brings in is a confidence that God is who he says he is. Those of you who have maybe read the screw tape letters, if you haven't, fun little book. Lots of fun. Fun. Um, you have these conversations between this head demon and this other guy. And one of the chapters talks about how to keep Christians away from a greater faith. And one chapter deals with this thought that don't, don't walk through, don't help them see that sometimes we have these ebbs and flows in our Christian life. That, that we're supposed to be as on fire, as, as fervent as we were at the beginning and stay that way. Because quite frankly, if they understand that there's this ebb and flow, they're going to get down in that trough and realize, well, I'm not nearly as good a Christian as I used to be. I, didn't, I don't love him like I used to. I don't pray like I used to. I don't read like I used to. So there must be something wrong. And sometimes it is in that ebb or that flow and that trough where you look up and you go, I am more dependent on you now than I've ever been. But if you never get to that point of dependence, it's really easy to look at your circumstances and say, well, I had it really good at one time, and now I'm just going to settle for this. Can you imagine John's reception of this delegation? John's reception of this delegation would have been one of the, the, the poor are hearing good news. The, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. This kingdom looks different than I imagined, but indeed this kingdom is being established. So now let's go back. Three things that I want for a disciple to hear today. One, your place in the kingdom is not established by you. It is established by the King of Kings. 
your attitude in the kingdom has to grow to the point where he is definitely more and we are less. And as you struggle with doubt, realize God is faithful and he is true and he has not changed a word that he has spoken. Today, wherever you are in your relationship with Christ, whether that's I have just started this and I need somebody to show me. That's the last part I want to address. Or you're further in, and you've been at it for 30 or 40 or 50 years. Here's what we started with. You can't do this alone. If you're just starting this, please, please, please find somebody who is older in their faith and ask them to show you how to read scripture and how to pray and how to grow. If you've been at it for a while, Find somebody who was like me and begin to pour into them. You don't have to have a Bible degree to do this. It could be that you discovered the truth of that scripture the week before. If we are to be disciples, and part of our mission, part of our our core value is to be discipling the next generation, how are you doing with that? Maybe today you just need to be encouraged and and strengthen and have somebody walk alongside and say if you're doubting it's normal and based on what you are telling me by your facial expressions doubt has been something many of you have dealt with and thought you were the only one you're not you're not but you don't know that if you don't begin sharing your life with other people maybe that's Starbucks Maybe that's lunch. Maybe that's dinner. Maybe that's, hey, 15 minutes a week. I would love to just pick your brain. I told this to the first service, and I firmly believe this. The people who helped me the most in my Christian faith were the people who were three times my age. Because they had longer in the faith to show me how to do it. Now I was 16. But those who really spoke into my life were the ones who were four and five times my age. So maybe it's time to find in this crowd. Take this how I mean it. An older person and a younger person to get into their lives. The older person to show you how to do life more and the younger person to remind you how to live life well and put them together. And then begin to do exactly what John the Baptist did point others to Christ. That's your task, regardless of how you approach it. And today I want to encourage you. Be a disciple who points others to Christ, who puts yourself before or after him, however you want to word that, you know what I mean, where he increases and you decrease and confront doubt with truth. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to Uh, this time to celebrate at your table. I pray that you would remind us of the truth that we have heard, not just today, but in other times as well. Father, send us out with eyes wide open. Send us out with hearts that beat for the people that you put around us. 
And then, Father, help us to live faithfully the lives that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for those here who have heard from you today. I pray that they would know you as their source and as their strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to come.